slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for fun and feeling groovy. Four legs in the morning. What's up with morning? Or who's up with morning? Becoming awake for travel, the Sphinx, and Ramona the Pest, and the Dawns are light. Happy birthday, Beverly Cleary. Only that day dawns to which we are awake. There is more day to dawn. The sun is but a morning star. That's Henry David Thoreau, and we're awake. You and me. And in celebration of Beverly Cleary's birthday this week, here's Ramona the Pest, a companion Walden spirit, and certainly an Alice in Wonderland type of Lewis Carroll to get us going. She was not a slowpoke grown-up. She was a girl who could not wait. Life was so interesting, she had to find out what happened next. Ramona could not understand why grown-ups always talked about how quickly children grew up. Ramona thought growing up was the slowest thing there was, slower even than waiting for Christmas to come. She had been waiting years just to get to kindergarten, and the last half hour was the slowest part of all. And now, finally, it's the morning of her first day, and it's ours. Top of the morning to you. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. We're all in our places with sunshiny faces, and this is the way we start our new day. This April, Dickinson's That April, the snip and pout that comes from so looking forward to it. And so, on our poetry slowdown, speaking of looking forward for RadioMonterey.com, produced by Zappa Johns, who has us all remember, Hamilton is coming. We'll be live from New York, and you don't have to be scammed by $600 tickets that don't actually exist. I'm Professor Barbara Mossberg, Dr. B, your host. And today, we're going to think about the poetry of trips and travel and journeys and mourning, what actually is broken when dawn is breaking. You're already singing, my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. And so you are, you dear poetry slowdown with me, the professor, Dr. B, our producer Zappa Johns. You're slowing down because you know you move too fast and your feet's too big. But that's another story, another song. Now, for now. As Wentz said, true love is like sunrise and sunset. Such things occur every day, but people seldom see them. Somerset, mom. This makes me think how it's true that sunrise 
is largely ignored by us in our day deliberately by people who would equate seeing it with suffering. And there is something about Dawn that has always been emotional from breaking up love, for example, such as John Dent, which he's writing in the 1500s. That is B.C., before coffee. And he says, Busy old fool, unruly son, why dost thou thus through windows and through curtains call on us? Must to thy motions lovers' seasons run? Saucy, pedantic wretch, go chide late schoolboys and sour prentices. Go tell court huntsmen that the king will ride. Call country ants to harvest offices. Love all alike. No season knows nor climb nor hours, days, months, which are the rags of time. Thy beams so reverend and strong, why shouldst thou think? I could eclipse and cloud them with a wink, but that I would not lose her sight so long. If her eyes have not blinded thine, look, and tomorrow late tell me whether both the Indias of spice and mine be where thou left them, or lie here with me. Ask for those kings whom thou sawest yesterday, and thou shalt hear all here in one bed lay. She's all states and all princes I, nothing else is. Princes do but play us. Compared to this, all honors mimic, all wealth, alchemy. Thou, son, art half as happy as we, and that the world's contracted thus. Thine age asks ease, and since Thy duties be to warm the world. That's done in warming us. Shine here to us, and thou art everywhere. This bed thy center is, these walls thy sphere. So kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you'll wait for me. Hold me like you'll never let me go. Already, I'm so lonesome, I could cry. The dawn is breaking. Peter, Paul, and Mary leaving on a jet plane. So, the busy old fool of John Dunn, Reverend Dunn, interrupts loving. Dawn is breaking. It's time for leaving. What's broken? Let's start where Thoreau says all intelligences start. The morning, which is, he says, the most memorable season of the day, the awakening hour. Then there is least somnolence in us, and for an hour at least, some part of us awakes which slumbers 
all the rest of the day and night. All memorable events, I should say, transpire in morning time and in a morning atmosphere. The Vedas say all intelligences awake with the morning. So poetry slow down. You're the biggest intelligence. You, Dante, here engaging with poetry in the middle of the dark woods of your life, of your day. He says, paraphrasing the Vedas, all intelligences begin in the morning. I'm thinking of morning poetry slow down because to me, it's a daily miracle. And I know people close to me for whom morning is very, very hard, who don't get going until noon or later left to their own devices. So this show is to inquire with humble curiosity and joy and vigor what it is about morning, what's up with morning in our breaking news of poetry that makes the morning last. So says Paul Simon, our show's theme man. Good morning, blues, blues, how do you do? Good morning, blues, blues, how do you do? Babe, I feel all right, but I come to worry you. Okay, Dr. B, I'm with you so far, but with all due respect, respect noted, thank you. Well, what does mourning have to do with journeys and travel? You mentioned in the beginning. Aha, thank you for asking. You evolved listening, good ones. Well, let's start with an early example of the human mind looking around this earth of ours and figuring out what we're supposed to be doing here. What's the plan? What's the idea? And we think of the Sphinx, the big riddle, the tormentor asking us questions. In Sophocles' Oedipus, 5th century BC, the story goes that Oedipus told by, by the oracle that he is destined to kill his father, marry his mother, doesn't want any part of that plan, runs away, gets on the road, hightails it out of town. And on the way, meets a, a party, gets into an enraged battle with them, kills them, ends up with his father, arrives in Thebes, and they say, oh, well, we just lost our king. We have a new opening, and the king comes with a wife, and there it is, his mother. He marries his mother. Before getting into Thebes, there is the big problem that Thebes has been having. And the problem that Thebes has is there's a monster outside the gate asking questions that determine who can enter. It's sort of like the SAT getting into college, the GRE getting into graduate school, you know, some kind of entrance exam. And 
This exam only has one question that the Sphinx, Greek for throttler, asks. What walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at noon, and three legs in the afternoon? And the interesting thing to me about this riddle, which is, of course, a metaphor, so the torturer, the tormentor, the throttler is the poet, the teacher of poetry. Well, nobody can answer the question. And if you can't answer it, it isn't that they say, okay, well, you tried or take a Kaplan test, come back tomorrow, you know, do your best, like the driver's test, come back. No, if you get it wrong, you're throttled, you're killed, you're thrown down the cliff. So everybody's dying. Nobody's getting into Thebes. It's a big crisis. And Oedipus comes along. And Oedipus is able to answer the riddle. And the answer, of course, which you all know, Poetry Slowdown, is the human being who, in the morning of our life, three, you know, four legs in the morning, we're infants, we're crawling on all fours. At noon in our life, we're upright, striding, I always like to say, with Advil. And in the afternoon of our life, we are having the support of a cane, which I had the last few years, my hip, needing that support the afternoon of our lives. Isn't it interesting that the form of the riddle is taken from the metaphor, poetry alert, of our human life and of the day? To the earliest minds on earth, the traveler was the sun. We were on foot. And we saw our lives that way as a journey. In the morning of our lives, we're children. Morning is the beginning of a journey that takes an arc to darkness. And yet, the miracle to me of this spinning orb, but we didn't know it then, the same thing happens the next day. Out of darkness, who knew the sun again? Think not of the first sunrise, but the second sunrise. What that must have been? A revelation, a game changer. We thought it was all over. It's sort of like the fruit tree in winter. All spring and summer, it's going on. Buds, leaves, blossoms, fruit. It's a success. And then come fall, the leaves turn golden and red and then brown. And suddenly, it's Shakespeare's sonnet 73. That time of year thou mayest in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang Upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare, ruined choirs, which late the sweet birds sang. In me thou seest the twilight of such day, as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away, death's second self that seals up 
awe and rest. In me, thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie as the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by. This thou perceivest, which makes thy love more strong, to love that well which thou must leave ere long. Shakespeare, Sonnet 73, written when he's in his 20s. It's all over. What if we didn't know spring came again and winter is a time for recharging? We might try to cut our losses and cut it down for firewood unless we knew spring will come again. Resurrection. Well, that's like morning. Morning turns out to be written about the most of any time or season or natural event, with the exception, perhaps, of spring, with which it is allied in our human mind. That which comes back, that which is a new beginning. And so our sense of life as a journey, traveling like the sun, perhaps that suggests that we will have life again and again and again, and at least in our everyday. Shakespeare is excited. What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Ring the bell, let's tell. a crack, a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. To which Mary Oliver writes, every morning the world is created. Under the orange sticks of the sun, the heaped ashes of the night turn into leaves again and fasten themselves to the high branches. And the ponds appear like black cloth on which are painted islands of summer lilies. If it is in your nature to be happy, you will swim away along the soft trails for hours, your imagination alighting everywhere. And if your spirit carries within it the thorn that is heavier than lead, if it's all you can do to keep on trudging, there is still somewhere deep within you a beast shouting that the earth is exactly what is wanted. Each pond with its blazing lilies is a prayer heard and answered lavishly. Every morning, whether or not you have ever dared to be happy, whether or not you have ever dared to pray. Mary Oliver. So when morning dawns, the crack of light, I think of Leonard Cohen covering Rumi. The wound is how the light comes in. We relive every day 
that moment of darkness into light. I love you in the morning Our kisses deep and warm Your hair upon the pillow Like a sleepy golden storm Yes, many love before us I know that we are not new In city and in forest They smiled like me and you But now it's come to distances And both of us must try Your eyes are soft with sorrow Hey, that's no way to say goodbye And connected to Leonard Cohen singing, bringing poetry into music from his readings of ancient wisdom, Rumi or Thoreau, who writes, In the morning I bathe my intellect in the stupendous and cosmogonal philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita, since whose composition years of the gods have elapsed and in comparison with which our modern world and its literature seem puny and trivial. And I doubt if that philosophy is not to be referred to a previous state of existence, so remote is its sublimity from our conception. He says, We must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake, not by mechanical aids, but by an infinite expectation of the dawn, which does not forsake us, even in our soundest sleep. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue, and so to make a few objects beautiful, but it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do, to affect the quality of the day, that is the highest of arts. And toward that end, he writes a poem called The Inner Morning. Packed in my mind lie all the clothes which outward nature wears, and in its fashions hourly change it all things else repairs. In vain I look for change abroad and can no difference find till some new ray of peace uncalled illumines my inmost mind. What is it gilds the trees and clouds and paints the heavens so gay but yonder fast abiding light with its unchanging ray lo, When the sun streams through the wood upon a winter's morn Where'er his silent beams intrude, the murky night is gone. How could the patient pine have known the morning breeze would come, or humble flowers anticipate the insect's noonday hum, till the new light with morning cheer from far streamed through the aisles and nimbly told the forest trees for many stretching miles? I've heard within my inmost soul such cheerful morning news 
in the horizon of my mind have seen such orient hues as in the twilight of the dawn when the first birds awake are heard within some silent wood where they the small twigs break or in the eastern skies are seen before the gate appears the harbingers of summer heats which from afar he bears morning has broken like the first morning blackbird has spoken like the first bird praise for the singing praise for the morning praise for them springing fresh from Eleanor Farjean's hymn, sung by Cat Stevens, now Yusuf Islam. The idea of morning breaking into light leads to Charles Bukowski, yes, writing about being broken. He chronicles the transformation that morning represents as a breaking somehow of brokenness. This time of breaking of darkness that none of us can stop, no matter how dark and how darkly we see the world. His poem is called, Let It Enfold You. Let it enfold you, either peace or happiness. Let it enfold you. When I was a young man, I felt these things were dumb, unsophisticated. I had bad blood, a twisted mind, a precarious upbringing. I was hard as granite. I leered at the sun. I trusted no man and especially no woman. I was living a hell in small rooms. I broke things, smashed things, walked through glass, cursed. I challenged everything, was continually being evicted, jailed, in and out of fights, in and out of my mind. Women were something to mess and rail at. I had no male friends. I changed jobs and cities. I hated holidays, babies, history, newspapers, museums, grandmothers, marriage, movies, spiders, garbage men, English accents, Spain, France, Italy, walnuts, and the color orange. Algebra angered me. Opera sickened me. Charlie Chaplin was a fake, and flowers were for pansies. Peace and happiness to me were signs of inferiority, tenets of the weak and addled mind. But as I went on with my alley fights, my suicidal years, my passage through any number of women, it gradually began to occur to me that I wasn't different from the others. I was the same. They were all fulsome with hatred glossed over with petty grievances. The men I fought in alleys had hearts of stone. Everybody was nudging, inching, cheating for some insignificant advantage. The lie was the weapon and the plot was empty. Darkness was the dictator. Cautiously, I allowed myself to feel good at times. I found moments of peace in cheap rooms, just staring at the knobs of some dresser 
or listening to the rain in the dark. The less I needed, the better I felt. Maybe the other life had worn me down. I no longer found glamour in topping somebody in conversation or in mounting the body of some poor drunken female whose life had slipped away into sorrow. I could never accept life as it was. I could never gobble down all its poisons, but there were parts, tenuous magic parts open for the asking. I reformulated, I don't know when, date, time, all that, but the change occurred. Something in me relaxed, smoothed out. I no longer had to prove that I was a man. I didn't have to prove anything. I began to see things. Coffee cups lined up behind a counter in a cafe or a dog walking along a sidewalk or the way the mouse on my dresser top stopped there with its body, its ears, its nose. It was fixed, a bit of life caught within itself and its eyes looked at me and they were beautiful. Then it was gone. I began to feel good. I began to feel good in the worst situations and there were plenty of those. Like, say, the boss behind his desk, he is going to have to fire me. I've missed too many days. He's dressed in a suit, necktie, glasses. He says, I am going to have to let you go. It's all right, I tell him. He must do what he must do. He has a wife, a house, children, expenses, most probably a girlfriend. I am sorry for him he is caught. I walk into the blazing sunshine. The whole day is mine, temporarily, anyhow. The whole world is at the throat of the world. Everybody feels angry, shortchanged, cheated. Everybody is despondent, disillusioned. I welcome shots of peace, tattered shards of happiness. I embrace that stuff like the hottest number, like high heels, breasts, singing the works. Don't get me wrong. There is such a thing as cockeyed optimism that overlooks all basic problems just for the sake of itself. This is a shield and a sickness. The knife got near my throat again. I almost turned on the gas again. But when the good moments arrived again, I didn't fight them off like an alley adversary. I let them take me. I luxuriated in them. I bade them welcome home. I even looked into the mirror Whence, having thought myself to be ugly, I now liked what I saw, almost handsome, yes, a bit ripped and ragged, scars, lumps, odd turns, but all in all, not too bad, almost handsome, better at least than some of those movie star faces like the cheeks of a baby's butt. And finally, I discovered real feelings for others, unheralded, like, lately, like, this morning, as I was leaving for the track, I saw my wife in bed, just the shape of her head there, not forgetting centuries of the living and the dead and the dying, the pyramids, Mozart dead, but his music still there in the room, weeds growing, the earth turning, the tote board waiting for me. I saw the shape of my wife's head. She's so still, I ached for her life, just being there under the covers. I kissed her in the forehead got down the stairway, got outside, got into my marvelous car, fixed the seatbelt, backed out of the drive. 
feeling warm to the fingertips, down to my foot on the gas pedal. I entered the world once more, drove down the hill, past the houses full and empty of people. I saw the mailman honked. He waved back at me. That's Charles Bukowski. And Raymond Carver has a similar experience with the transformational quality of mourning in our life. He calls it this morning. This morning was something. A little snow lay on the ground. The sun floated in a clear blue sky. The sea was blue and blue-green. As far as the eye could see, scarcely a ripple, calm. I dressed and went for a walk, determined not to return until I took in what nature had to offer. I passed close to some old bent-over trees, crossed a field strewn with rocks where snow had drifted, kept going until I reached the bluff where I gazed at the sea and the sky and the gulls wheeling over the white beach far below, all lovely, all bathed in a pure, cold light. But, as usual, my thoughts began to wander. I had to will myself to see what I was seeing and nothing else. I had to tell myself, this is what mattered, not the other. And I did see it for a minute or two. For a minute or two, it crowded out the usual musings on what was right, what was wrong, duty, tender memories, thoughts of death, how I should treat my former wife, all the things I hoped would go away this morning, the stuff I live with every day, what I've trampled on in order to stay alive. But for a minute or two, I did forget myself and everything else. I know I did. For when I turned back, I didn't know where I was until some birds rose up from the gnarled trees and flew in the direction I needed to be going. That's Raymond Carver. And in fact, there's Rumi on transformation of mourning from the 1200s. Oh, if a tree could wander and move with foot and wings, it would not suffer the axe blows and not the pain of saws. For would the sun not wander away in every night? How could at every morning the world be lighted up? And if the ocean's water would not rise to the sky, how would the plants be quickened by streams and gentle rain? The drop that left its homeland, the sea, and then returned. It found an oyster waiting and grew into a pearl. Did Yusuf not leave his father in grief and tears and despair? Did he not by such a journey gain kingdom and fortune wide? Did not the prophet travel to far Medina, friend? And there he found a new kingdom and ruled a hundred lands. You lack a foot to travel? Then journey into yourself. And like a mine of rubies, receive the sunbeams. Out of yourself, such a journey will lead you to yourself. It leads to transformation 
of dust into pure gold. That's Rumi. The Rubiat of Omer Khayyam, Edward Fitzgerald. Awake! For morning in the bowl of night has flung the stone that puts the stars to flight. See another journey. And lo, the hunter of the east has caught the sultan's turret in a noose of light. Dreaming when dawn's left hand was in the sky, I heard a voice within the tavern cry, Awake, my little ones, and fill the cup before life's liquor in its cup be dry. And as the cock crew, those who stood before the tavern shouted, Open them the door! You know how little while we have to stay, and once departed may return no more. And Pablo Neruda writes, Morning, a love sonnet. Naked, you are simple as one of your hands, smooth, earthy, small, transparent, round. You've moonlines, apple pathways. Naked, you are slender as a naked grain of wheat. Naked, you are blue as a night in Cuba. You vines and stars in your hair. Naked, you are spacious and yellow as summer in a golden church. Naked, you are tiny as one of your nails, curved, subtle, rosy, till the day is born and you withdraw to the underground world. As if down a long tunnel of clothing and of chores, your clear light dims, gets dressed, drops its leaves, and becomes a naked hand. Again, Pablo Neruda. Writers from Thoreau to T.S. Eliot, Sylvia Plath, are influenced by Homer's depiction of morning, dawn, as a kind of set decorator goddess, the rosy-fingered dawn. In the Odyssey, the dawn is alive as a person, a god. And the critic writes, the Greeks did not literally see the rosy-tipped fingers of a woman god named Dawn. They see the glory of a morning sky filled with color. They do not understand the beauty before them. Thus, the panorama of color wisps from the hand or brush of a god. Well, Rumi, who gets up early to discover the moment light begins? Well, I hope that's going to be us poetry slow down he says your legs will get heavy and tired then comes a moment of feeling the wings you've grown lifting all day i think about it then at night i say it where did i come from and what am i supposed to be doing i have no idea my soul is from elsewhere i'm sure of that and i intend to end up there you sit here for days saying this is strange business you're the strange business. You have the energy of the sun in you, but you keep nodding it up at the base of your spine. You're some weird kind of gold that wants to say melted in the furnace so you won't have to become coins.
equate gold, the currency of gold, with mourning, with what we get if we wake up. Maya Angelou wrote the pulse of mourning, a rock, a river, a tree, host a species long since departed, mark the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here on our planet floor. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us clearly, forcefully, come. You may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny. Across the wall of the world, a river sings, a beautiful song. Come rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made proud, yet thrusting perpetually under siege. Yet today I call you to my riverside. If you will steady war no more, come clad in peace and I will sing the songs the creator gave to me when I and the tree and the stone were when and Maya Angelou writes an epic poem lift up your hearts she finally says each new hour holds new chances for new beginnings do not be wedded forever to fear yoked eternally to brutishness the horizon leans forward offering you space to place new steps of change here on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country, no less to Midas than the mendicant, no less to you now than the mastodon then, here on the pulse of this new day. You may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes, into your brother's face, your country and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning. Maya Angelou, Sylvia Plath, letter in November. Love, the world suddenly turns, turns color. The street light splits through the rat's tail, pods of the laburnum at nine in the morning. It is the Arctic, this little black circle with its tawny silk grasses, baby's hair. There is a green in the air, soft, delectable. It cushions me lovingly. I am flushed and warm. I think I may be enormous. I am so stupidly happy. My Wellingtons squelching and squelching through the beautiful red. This is my property. Two times a day, I pace it, sniffing the barbarous holly with its Viridian scallops, pure iron, and the wall of the odd corpses. I love them. I love them like history. The apples are golden. Imagine it. My 70 trees holding their gold, ruddy balls in a thick gray death suit, their million gold leaves, metal and breathless. Oh, love. Oh, celibate. Nobody but me walks the waste high, wet, 
the irreplaceable golds bleed and deepen the mouths of thermal play. For Sylvia Plath, the experience of mourning is laced in ancient myth and tragedy. My own efforts to find mourning, a la Walden Mourning Minute, and this is when I went to the Andrews Experimental Forest um, up in Oregon, uh, between Corvallis and the coast, a project by Oregon State University, Spring Creek Project, where I tried to be a Lady Thoreau looking for morning around the clock, 24 hours a day. I would record what I found of morning in the world. Deciding to forget the howl I have heard, I walk outside on the grass to the edge of the little meadow overlooking the creek. It is messy with branches and rocks and trees. It is muddy. Its sound is delicious. Its sound is like the texture of berry pie. It has seeds in it and is brambling. Its voice. I love creeks. The only thing you can do is love them. You can't swim in them really or go in boats or float or sit there and watch them the way I do ponds and lakes and rivers with herons taking off and landing and ducks gliding and diving. A creek is jumpy with light, splashing over rocks. Trees bend over it. Everything is in it. What flies and crawls and swims and hops and leaps and gulps. It makes the best sound of all. I stand, listening and watching, amazed that I am standing and doing nothing but standing and listening and watching and being amazed. And then I realize that I am breathing in, that the fragrance of the creek and of the trees and grass and flowers is intense, flowery, woodsy. And I realize I have no language for any of this. I don't know the words for the smells and the sounds and the sights of what is here. Morning hour. If I wait quietly, I will not interrupt the sun right now, settling on the leaves of the tops of the trees like an orange furred animal. If I do not move, the wind will shake the trees and make them shiver. But if I begin to sing just now, who knows what will happen? Maybe I am one more bird, or maybe what was howling will join me. Would that be wonderful? I am the least howling person. Or maybe the howl I heard was me, or could be me. If I stop writing and stop thinking, I will not interrupt what is happening right now. What is happening right now will happen to me too. Morning hour. Now I am on earth, as people always were on earth, as evening appears in a purple veil. There is a quickening in the air. It is the moon which has made a creek's ripple in the currents of the night. Do you know the way the moon hangs in the sky, even though we're told it's really circling our earth, which we are told really is round, even though we're standing on it, and although arced, it is flat? That is how I see me and your spirit. Sometimes I am a slice, sometimes whole, sometimes behind a cloud, a quiver, and your spirit is this earth I circle around. We are bound to each other, as this apple tree here is bound, not only to this grassy field right here, but to the space between the branches where the sky lives, where its birds fly to bring back whatever is a nest that makes new birds fly. So that was my um, part of my quest for morning, 
and in Pacific Grove, Daybreak, tell, take this. And the epigraph is Emily Dickinson. I'll tell you how the sun rose. Dawn, my mind says, a poet's word, as suddenly the dark room startles, becomes not light but visible shapes. And in a window, a bright orange glow breaks the dark. It is the east. My Juliet is light. No need for metaphor. I grab my camera phone to take the scene, but it is not charged. So my eyes have to be my camera, my dark room, developing it, recording it. And so this is my photograph, as if it could be taken. Not able to be a photographer, but reduced to age-old poetics, I go outside in the cool morning air, trying to see the way a camera sees, so I can tell you how the sun rose. That is who we are in the face of something momentous. Take it to show someone whatever breaks darkness, the self that cannot bear to see such sight alone. The gray horizon, the turquoise space above the dark line, the orange stripe, pink and orange and white blotch sky, red glow orange. What do these words for colors say? I realize the camera cannot take the cool morning Pacific Grove air, the sound of the goals, the emptiness of silent streets, shop windows still dark. The camera cannot capture me limping along, my happiness. The camera cannot capture me writing to you from the dark room of my heart. Camera obscura, my sense of gift of being out in the morning to see the sun rise through your eyes to tell you this. So that's my engagement with morning. Oh, poetry, slow down. And one of my um, favorite um, authors of all time is Edmund Rostand, uh, the author of Cyrano uh, de Bergerac. He also wrote, and one of his own favorite plays was Chanticleer about the rooster. And his play is characterized by all the um, creatures of the barnyard. And the lord of all these creatures is the rooster who heralds the day. And in this play, Chanticleer believes that it is his crow that makes the sun rise in the morning. And therefore, he has a duty for the whole world as a poet to be the voice that invokes the sunrise. And there's some jealousy among the animals and I want to prove to him that uh, he is not what makes the sunrise. And his partner is a pheasant hen and he says, am I the whole, whole world to you? She says, he says, of course you are. And she goes, in my green-sleeved oriental robe, um, how do I look? Like a living commandment ever to worship that which comes from the east. So it's always to reverence the sun and the sunrise. Will you stop thinking of the light of day and think only of the light in my eyes? And the rooster says, I shall never forget that there was a morning when we believed equally in my destiny and that in the radiant hour of dawning love you forgot and allowed me to forget your gold for the gold of the dawn. And she goes, the dawn, always the dawn. 
be careful, Chanticleer, I shall do something rash. And what Chanticleer does at that point is to make an ode to the sun. Thou that driest the tears of the tiniest thing, that turnest the withered blossom to butterfly wings, when like a flickering white life, the almond tree flings its petals to the breeze cold from the Pyrenees, I adore thee, O sun, whose beneficent light to ripen the honey to make the sad visage bright, piercing each flower in the cottage of each poor white, divided, remains whole even as a mother's soul. I am thy priest, I am thy herald true, thou who comest to color the soap bloods blue, and often choosest to signal thy last adieu. And he ends up singing the most beautiful song to the sunrise. And that is what Edmund Rostin wants to say is the role of the poet, and no less than to bring us daybreak. So Emily Dickinson felt that she was this poet who had this responsibility to um, bring us morning. I'll tell you how the sun rose, a ribbon at a time. The steeple swam in amethyst, the news like squirrels ran. The hills untied their bonnets, the bobolinks begun. Then I said softly to myself, that must have been the sun. And we always will get Emily Dickinson telling us about the uh, morning. But we also have Mary Oliver. This is the best, throwing off the light covers, feet on the cold floor, buzzing around the house on espresso, maybe a splash of water on the face, a palm full of vitamins, but mostly buzzing around the house on espresso, dictionary and atlas open on the rug, typewriter waiting for the key of the head, cello on the radio, and if necessary, the windows, trees 50, 100 years old out there, heavy clouds on the way, the lawns, you mean like a horse in the early morning. Well, when Emily Dickinson says, will there ever be a morning? Is there such a thing as day? Um, D.H. Lawrence, Mary Oliver, Ann Tyler, T.S. Eliot, they're all writing about morning. There's songs, T.S. Eliot's cats, four quartets, talking about memories on morning, even Shakespeare, a sonnet 33, Full many a glorious morning have I seen, flatter the mountaintops with sovereign eye, kissing with golden face the meadows green. Lo, hear the gentle lark, weary of rest, from his moist cabinet mounts up on high and wakes the morning, from whose silver breast the sun ariseth in majesty, who doth the world so gloriously behold that cedar tops and hills seem burnished gold. Well, Hearing about all of these different ways of mourning, who cannot want to get up? Thoreau says, if the day and night are such that you greet them with joy and life emits a fragrance like flowers and sweet scented herbs, it's more elastic, more starry, more immortal. That is your success. All nature is your congratulation and you have cause momentarily to bless yourself. The greatest gains and values are farthest from being appreciated. We can forget them, but 
the morning the little stardust caught a segment of the rainbow, which I have clutched. And he said, not till we are lost. In other words, not till we have lost the world do we begin to find ourselves and realize where we are and the infinite extent of our relations. And that is morning to which Mary Oliver can be heard adding. All night, my heart makes its way, however it can, over the rough ground of uncertainties. But only until night meets and then is overwhelmed by the morning, the light deepening, the wind easing and just waiting, as I too wait, and when have I ever been disappointed for Redbird to sing? This morning, the beautiful white heron was floating above the water and then into the sky of this one world we all belong to, where everything sooner or later is part of everything else, which thought made me feel for a little while quite beautiful myself. The resurrection of the morning. I go down to the shore in the morning, and depending on the hour, the waves are rolling in or out. And I say, oh, I am miserable. What shall I do? And the sea says in its lovely voice, excuse me, I have work to do. Oh, excuse me, RadioMonterey.com, poetry slow down. There is work to do, but actually we're doing it, doing the work, thinking about poetry, which brings morning to us being awake. As E.E. E. Cummings says, and now the eyes of my eyes are awake. And now the ears of my ears are opened. I feel, hope that you feel awake and ready for skidamarink, I love you in the morning. Knowing I love you in the morning, and it's always morning on the poetry slowdown, where we're slowed down to make the morning lost. There's always more day to dawn, so let's end with a dawn poem by Mary Oliver, Why I Wake Early. Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you, who made the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of the tulips and the nodding morning glories, and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety, best preacher that ever was, dear star, that just happens to be where you are in the universe to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day in happiness and kindness. That's how I'm thinking of you, poetry slow down, starting the day in happiness and kindness, knowing that is how you've been with me today, this morning. Thank you from your Dr. B, produced by Mr. Z. Rumi says, the breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. So we're awake making the morning last. You know how Rumi said you're the strange business? Us, with the sun in us now, yes. Let us be the strange business today, the poetry in every moment, the transformation from dark to light, and the new day that's possible. I'm Professor Barbara Mossberg wishing you good morning. Dappled and drowsy and ready to sleep Let the morning time drop all its petals on me Life, I love you, all is groovy Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da